0: So today, I want to start off by sharing a statement with you. Um, And we're just going to pause and kind of let this statement just absorb it with all your being. Maybe there'll be something there that stands out to you. Um, And the statement is this. Expectations shape reality. Expectations shape reality. So think for a moment that basically saying that what we expect in life shapes how we experience it. What we expect out of life and are in life shapes how we experience it. And um, I know there's uh, several folks among us here in person, I know many probably online too, um, who work in the medical field. And even if you don't, then you're probably familiar with this term that I'm going to share with you. Um, You may be familiar with the term placebo effect. Are you guys familiar with that, that term? So, so basically a placebo effect um, kind of comes from this idea of research studies that have been done, testing medications and practices for health and drugs and all that kind of good drugs, not bad drugs, good drugs. And um, just make that clear. And, um, and so in order to do so, just to kind of ch- test the effectiveness, they would give um, a test study, a whole group of people. Um, half of them would, be, would receive the actual medication, and then the others would receive like maybe a tablet that looks like the actual thing, but it's actually like a sugar pill, that it really does nothing. And it's interesting that um, sometimes, believe it or not, the people that take the sugar pill or the, the non-actual medication um, actually experience improvement in their symptoms. That things actually go away, they feel better. That, that it's attributed for everything from asthma symptoms, disappearing, to pain relief, Even blood pressure has been shown to improve um, just based on the sole expectation that what I'm taking is going to make me feel better. So basically the placebo effect says that if people expect something to make them feel better, the expectation alone actually does something to help them, to help us. And what's cool is that um, the field of neuroscience is, is really fascinated by this effect, this idea of, like, you know, the mind and the self having this influence. And so um, they've taken this, like, to extrapolated it, like, broadened it to other areas. And um, there's actually a career, believe it or not, someone called a behavioral economist. Has anybody met a behavioral economist before? This is something for your children to aspire to, something you want to be when you grow up. But basically, behavior, behavioral economists have looked for other ways to see how our behavior is tied to this kind of idea of a placebo effect. And, um, and so they've conducted other studies outside of the medication field and kind of medical field. And, um, and, and in one study, they took this really, really fancy restaurant. And what they did was they went to the store, And they got super, super cheap wine. And they served it at this restaurant. And they described it to the people that were about to drink it as an expensive vintage wine with their meal. And and after their meal, they had them rate the wine. Well, would you believe it or not, the people that drank this, they thought it was amazing. They loved it. They said, wow, what a flavor. Excuse me. What an amazing thing it was. And, um, excuse me. Camp, right? And bring everything back with you. It's all good. Um, and so um, another situation, artwork, artwork. <coughs> there was actually kindergarten scribble that was placed up in an art museum. And they told everybody that this was amazing art that had so many impressions that you could bring out from it. And people would look at it. And once again, when they would rate it, they actually thought that this was some expensive, profound imagery here in this kindergartner's art. Amazing, right? TV shows. You know, they test all these TV shows before they air them. Well, TV shows... um, they would tell the viewers beforehand that the people previously all rated this show amazing. That it's just the best show you've ever watched. And so they would watch it, and it was probably really, really trashy or really, really yucky. And so their ratings, their people's ratings, they actually showed that this is going to be an amazing show, and everybody should see it. The last one, fine, another fine dining restaurant, served Pizza Hut pizza. You know, the, the, what is it, the $7.99 special there. And the people thought that this was the most amazing type of pizza that they could ever experience. Surprise! Pizza Hut, right? The Hut. It's amazing. But So the question is, why is this? Why is this? Well, <clears throat> what happens here is there's an expectation that you're going to get good food at a good restaurant, that if other people have thought about their what they like before you, then that's going to kind of change your perception of that, where it's coming from or who's telling you this. Our expectations shape our reality. They shape what we experience in our lives. And I think Jesus understood this. Jesus understood this, that the way we experience God is really based On what we expect God will do and what God can do in our world and in our lives. That our expectations often define the ways that we experience God. And the parable that we're about to read today is is about this idea of expectation. And and it's actually different than many of the other parables that Jesus told. Because it's told towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry that it's still about the kingdom of God. Jesus' parables, he gave these descriptions, these illustrations, right? We need illustrations to kind of tell us about some broad or giant idea. And so he used these parables to describe what the kingdom of God was like. But in other parables, Jesus said things like, the kingdom of God is is here, do you see it? And the people around him said, no, we don't see it, right? Right? We see people dying. We see people sick. We see the Romans that are taking over and and doing all these cruel things to people. And so Jesus gave them images. Jesus gave them images to describe how God has started what he's promised to do. That God has started his promise all the way back through the prophets and even before that in the Old Testament scriptures. But here we are in Matthew 25 towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And so Jesus is telling a series of parables about the future. And this parable we're reading today has different names. It's often called the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins or the wise and foolish bridesmaids, and it's found in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. This is in your uh, worship guides if you want to follow along. Those of you guys online, it's also posted online for you. And so we're going to read and check out Matthew 25. Okay, so Jesus is saying this. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time arrived. The bridesmaids who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So, so this is the story. This is the parable. And, and overall, the parables of Jesus have fascinated Christians a long time. And it's really impacted art, commentaries, what people have written about these types of things. And, and so remember, early in Jesus' life and ministry, when he started telling these stories and parables, he was describing how the kingdom of God was already present. How, you know, it's like things like a mustard seed You know, we talked about the the laborers in the vineyard, how the the master comes, and he's inviting all of us from different times and places to come and and be and work in the kingdom. But, But here, there's a tension. There's a tension present in this parable because Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is here and now, but here he is later in his ministry. He's describing how it's not going to be completed until he comes back again. That there's going to be this time. There's going to be this time in between. And so the question is then, what now, right? That Jesus has come, he started, he initiated the beginning of the kingdom of God. And he promises at some point he's going to come back and finish the job and finish the deal. But the question is, what now, right? We're, We're in the middle of this. What now? When will it be completed? And so, you know, think about that. This is true of the cosmos and all of eternity, but it's also true of our lives. That there are times that God has started something, but he's not yet brought it to completion. So Jesus is telling these parables as one day the work is going to be completed, but guess what, guys? It matters what happens in between, And so this specific parable of the bridesmaids that people, maybe you've heard this preached before, people usually interpret it as this kind of big, big allegory that says something like this. And this is kind of your little fill-in-the-blank piece here. There's the answers. That's your cheat sheet. So first, the bridegroom. Who is the bridegroom? Jesus. Eighty-seven percent of the time in church, your answer is right if you say Jesus, just believe that, right? 87%. Hold it. Hold me to that. So who are the bridesmaids? They're us. They're us. They're the people in the church that are living in this gap. We're living in this gap in between. And what's the, what's the delay? That's the gap. That's the gap in time between Jesus coming and starting and Jesus coming again and finishing. And, and there's frustration, right? There's frustration in the gap. Have there ever been a time you're like, God, just, like, can you fix all this already? Like, fix me, fix this world. Like, everything's just going crazy, right? Frustration comes in the time of God's, between God starting and God completing. But then, there's the arrival. There's the arrival. And that's the, the complete kingdom. The kingdom being complete. That it's, it's the important time when the kingdom is fulfilled in our lives and in the world. And the oil in the lamps are the good words and acts of charity and love. And people who live that way bear fruit in that meantime, ushering in the kingdom, not just saying there's a starting and an ending point, just kind of this twiddling thumbs in between, but actually taking part in the kingdom of God in the gap. And of course, there's the bridesmaids, the five foolish and the five wise. The five foolish are just like you and I when we remember back to our grade school days or college days, who knew that there was a test tomorrow and we didn't study for the last month. And what do you do the night before? You cram, right? All that stuff, it's like through osmosis, right? You put your books underneath your pillow and it's just like it needs to get in there. Who say, oh shoot, it's tomorrow. I gotta cram, I gotta get my act together. And so the basic spin usually as this message, as this parable is preached, is something goes something like this. Jesus is watching, he's coming back, so be good and pay attention, right? Jesus is watching, he's coming back, so be good and pay attention. And this idea is pictured in lots and lots of areas. Um, I love checking out medieval art, what people in medieval times thought of this. And um, there's lots of amazing, if you have time and, or you're like very bored at work or whatever it is, just Google like sanctuary judgment scenes. I tell you, there's some amazing stuff that pops out. So um, there's one that's that's outside the doors of of several cathedrals. um, And you see that there's like the five and five to the left and the right of the doorways. This happens in a lot of different cathedrals. You have the five bridesmaids. These are our holy ones. The ones that look like they're waiting anxiously. And I don't have a picture of the other ones, but there's actually gargoyles and demons surrounding them. You know, just this idea of the wise, and you don't want to be the foolish. And the message is this, be good and ready. Be good and be ready. Um, my favorite one is actually from the 16th century, a guy named Peter Bruegel. And he pictures these bridesmaids hanging out. It's a little bit hard to see since it's, it's kind of small. But you see the, the wonderful people on your left. That's the five wise ones. They're spinning. They're making things. They're being very, very productive And then you have the wasteful ones who are playing instruments. They're playing the bagpipe. I don't know. They're playing the, I think there was one, maybe not in this one, but there's one that's playing the guitar as the unholy instrument of God. Looking at you, worship team. The frivolous activities of dancing and cavorting and having fun and smiles on their faces while the holy ones don't look very happy, do they? (laughs) The ones on the left are attentive to God, praying, reading, working. They're ready, even if they're no fun. And the message, the message is clear. Who do you want to be like? The ones on the left. The good ones, not the guitar-playing ones, right? (laughs) Jesus cares about what you're doing, and that's not a bad message to have, But actually, it's not as simple as that. See, Jesus, in in this parable, there's a clue as to what point he's really trying to communicate. Like I said, it's not a bad thing um, to look at it that way. But the parable's emphasis is really on this idea of being expectant. Of being expectant. The Greek word that's used here is, is be prepared, be ready, but be expectant. Not just when it's convenient for you, but be expectant no matter what. No matter what. Be expectant now. Because the difference between the wise and the foolish, the foolish ones didn't actually expect the bridegroom to arrive. They acted like, you know, this is going to happen, but maybe it won't. But, but for us, is, we need to live expectantly, that that this is that Jesus his work is going to be complete but also God wants to use us now too see our expectations shape our experience of God you know so a question for you do you live your life as if you expect God's kingdom to come do you live your life do you do you live your life expecting God to do something significant in it and through you i remember um, when i started off in ministry Um, I I got to coordinate vacation Bible school, but also um, was a youth leader, a youth pastor of sorts when I was in seminary. And um, I was serving at a a small church in in Virginia, and um, I had this, well, I didn't have this, the people had this, this idea of a lock-in. Has anybody ever heard of that? A lock-in, right? That there's no other corner of this universe that does lock-ins, by the way. Um, and, and basically, the idea is that we're taking teenagers or teenagers that won't come to church on Sunday for an hour. Or we're telling them, you come be with us for like all night, right? And, and you know, come spend the night with us at the church, and we're going to do lots and lots of fun things. And uh, so being young in ministry, I was so ready and excited. I talked to friends of mine, like, what are you doing to lock in? Like, there's going to be fun and games and all sorts of things. And I had the schedule arranged. I ordered the pizza, And I have to say, all three of us had a wonderful time at this (laughs) lock-in. You know, I, I can't tell you guys, that was like day one, but I can't tell you the number of times in my ministry, so many times that nobody shows up to things that I start, that I tried to do things and they failed. It's hard and it hurts. Maybe you can relate in some way to take hits left and right Maybe, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but you expect big things, you plan for them, you get ready for them, you prepare for them, and then they disappoint you. Maybe there's an event you organize that doesn't live up to your expectations, or something you're trying for or trying to accomplish never seems to happen. Or maybe a person or group of people or some friend doesn't live up to your expectations. Maybe you thought you could achieve something, but it, you haven't. You know, it's hard to live in a world like that, right? But, uh, but when we're in that place, what do we choose to do? I think that's the question. See, when that happens to you over and over and over again, it's very easy to fix the problem by doing what? Lowering your expectations. It's very easy to fix the problem by just lowering your expectations. And it's easy to do, I have to say, in ministry, once you've been serving 10, 20 years to lower expectations. It's easy to do when you've been in your job disappointed over and over and over again when you're trying the best. It's easy to live life not trusting anyone, not believing that anything is going to happen, not wanting to look stupid again. And what we begin to do is we begin to notch down our expectations Either we don't want to look silly, we don't want to be disappointed, or we don't want to fail again. And what do we settle with? This thing called mediocrity. To say that nothing good is going to happen, so I might as well just settle, right? And you know what the opposite of the placebo effect is? It's called the nocebo effect. And I'm not making this up. There's actually something called the nocebo effect. You can look that up. It's when you expect nothing to happen. Or you expect bad things and you actually wind up turning good things bad because you don't expect there to be anything good. That you expect people to disappoint you. You expect God to disappoint you. And I think the parable shows us something very critical about and important about our expectations, that that we can believe that God is real and God is active and God is redemptive, that he's going to keep his promises and that he's going to show up, or we don't. And the distinction in the story isn't really between the foolish guitar playing, cavorting bridesmaids and those who prayed. All of them believed in the bridegroom, right? All of them did. They all wanted to see the bridegroom. And the custom at the time was when there was going to be a wedding that that you would go to the house and you would wait for the festivities to begin. And what do we see in the story? All ten did this. All ten did this. It wasn't like they didn't believe in the bridegroom. Five, though, five didn't want to miss him when he came. And what did they do? They did something very silly because he hadn't arrived yet. They wasted their time and they wasted their money on oil. And at that time, they were the ones, imagine, that they looked foolish. The other five said that we'll show up. We'll be ready if he happens to show up, but we're not going out of our way. We're not going out of our way. We're not going to change our plans. We're not going to change our lives just in case he does show up. Like, we believe that he exists, but we don't actually believe that he's going to show up. That They didn't want to waste their money or use their extra time or even do extra work in the process. It's just like for us, like not going to change our lives until the bridegroom shows up. But the other five said, we're going to change our lives now because we expect him. We expect him and we're making ourselves open to him. And and they couldn't guarantee it, but they lived as if something great was going to happen. The foolish five chose to wait, wait, wait. Wait around and then decide that, okay, if he does come, then we'll choose and then we'll react. Then they had a kind of reactive posture towards God, but no expectation that he was going to do anything. In other words, they they kind of had the narrative, you know, yeah, I believe in God, but my life is the same. I don't see evidence of him. I'm not really going to change anything or make any sacrifices or go out of my way. And if God shows up, then great, then I'll listen, then I'll follow. But till then, I'm not gonna take any chances here. But what Jesus says is that God doesn't work that way. By the time he comes, it's too late. So think, what would it look like though for you to live expectantly? What would it look like for you to live your life as if to expect that God is going to show up, that I can calculate with God in the process? That God is going to show up in a significant way. How would that affect the way you judge what's possible? What's possible? The way that maybe you view your work and where you feel stuck. The way that you view other people. what What is possible with them through me, right? What is the way that you view your calling? Because the easy thing to do is to do this. To lower your expectations all around. And that's where many of us give up. We form mediocre goals and mediocre expectations. And that's what we get. But what if we would factor God in? And one of my favorite authors, a devotion I read every day, Oswald Chambers, he says it like this. He says, haul yourself up 101 times a day in order to do it until you get into the habit of putting God first and calculating with him in view. I love what he has to say. Maybe, maybe we need to care less about looking silly Care less because he is going to show up, to take a chance, to live as if, and to trust that, that God is going to finish what he started and believe in the God factor, even if there is a delay here. So in closing here today, guys, I, just, I want to repeat a true story a friend of mine had shared with me several years back of two guys in his church that um, had two jobs, and they hated their jobs. Uh, they both wanted to change their jobs, but neither really knew what change needed to happen. The One guy didn't experiment. You know, this is a pastor. I love experiments. But this is the one guy who didn't experiment. And he went and visited with his pastor and told him, you know, I, I hate my job. Like, I know there needs to be a change. I don't know what it is. I'm looking around. And what I'm going to do is in the next six months, I'm going to live life as if a significant change is coming. I'm going to prepare for it, that I'm going to prepare for it, that I'm going to prepare our family in case I need to make less money, that what would that look like? I'm going to prepare us that, hey, maybe let's go through some stuff, that maybe there's a move that's a part of that. We're going to go through our lives and prepare and live that way, and I'm going to put myself out there and talk to people and and prepare looking to say in six months that God is going to do something. He's going to, I'm going to prepare and live that way. And he told his wife, he told his kids. And guess what happened? Well, it wasn't six months. It was actually 10 months. 10 months later, there was an opportunity that came around that, that, he, that came to him and required some sacrifices for his family to take. It required a move. The other person, the other person who also wanted to change positions but didn't know what that change was, was very frustrated, was very frustrated, did the normal thing and kind of wished about it, didn't tell his wife or his kids about this, and he just didn't talk to anybody about it. And nothing changed in his life. There was no preparation. And lo and behold, things actually came up. But in his mind, they were never enough because he didn't expect them. He wasn't prepared or ready, and he remained there for another couple years. See, I don't know looking at these two stories, if there is a relationship, and I don't think it's a magic switch by any means, but maybe, maybe there's a relationship between being prepared and what happens, right? That if I want to be ready to receive God and be open to what he may have, then I need to live ready for him to show up. That that our expectations shape our reality, how we see and what we seize in our lives. What do you expect that God can and will do in your life, in your story? Maybe through some painful things that have taken place, maybe with some ways that you have been blessed, whether that's been materially or financially or with gifts that you have. What do you expect that God can do? And if you don't experience that, if you say we'd say, yeah, you know what, Pastor Chris, like my expectations, like they were up here and now they're like down here, like I could literally like take a step over top of them. I bottomed out here and to say, I'm having a hard time like increasing that. I don't trust people, I don't really expect God to do anything. You know what the best thing that you can do? The best thing you can do is to get around others that are expecting God. The best thing you can do is to get around others that are expecting God. That's why we need the church. That's why we need not one another to be continually encouraged to say, wow, God is doing something here. Like maybe, maybe from here, maybe I can just scrooge that up just a little bit. Like to say, you know, God, like you can do something. Maybe you will do something. That will you live as if God can and will show up and do something significant as part of his kingdom here? Do you have a God factor? Do you have a God factor? Or do you set your bar so low? that'll protect you, but, and you'll never be disappointed or hurt again. See, Jesus said, we don't know the day or the hour, but he will show up again. He will show up. In the meantime, though, in the gap, it's time to live ready. What could he do? What do you expect him to do? How will you participate in God's kingdom here and now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word and for your work. And Lord, and I confess to you, first of all, that um, I've lowered expectations, Lord. That it's easy to do, and I've lowered expectations, Um, even in ministry, Lord, (laughs) that there's times to say, you know what, like this is good enough. That we can just kind of keep going on and doing good things and it's all good, Lord. But, and I confess to you, Lord, that there are times that I have not expected you to show up. There are times that I've stepped back, that I've, I've lowered the bar, that I, I haven't believed in your promises, Lord, and, and I, I've hesitated to take risks and to step out, Lord. But Lord, I come to you today, and I lay those at your feet, as my friends do here, Lord. Knowing that um, we have so many different backgrounds and experiences, Lord, and and it's easy for our hearts to be hardened in that way. And it's easy to want to protect and want to stand back. And and, and even when it comes to you, Lord, to say, okay, you know, I'll do the church thing every now and then, kind of get my... you know, sit down and, and be a part of it, but but then when you're getting ready to come back, I'll I'll get my act together, Lord. And we know that's not the way that you call us to live. In both of those, there's so so much more. And Lord, you are at work. You're at work in small ways, and mustard seeds, Lord. You work in big ways, Lord, and stories I've heard of healing and redemption and, and, and broken parts come together to be healed in relationships and, and amazing things that you've done through, through even our church here, Lord, stories that people have shared. Lord, people have taken risks to invite, people that have served in, in ways that they weren't even comfortable and yet they took a risk and stepped in, Lord, and how you've worked through all that. Lord, I lay these at your feet today, Lord, that as people in need of your grace, Lord, we come to you and we ask for your forgiveness, Lord. Lord, help us to, to live faithfully. Help us to trust in you, Lord, that when we are doubting or, or just aren't sure, Lord, that you would give us that little extra dose or a little extra push, maybe, of encouragement to live expectantly, to calculate with you in view and to prepare ourselves, to take the steps that we need to prepare ourselves for the work that you want to do. And Lord, we know you and we trust in you, and we know that you met your disciples where they are and you meet us here today. And so we gather as your people, Lord, as those who are trying to figure this all out and trust in you, Lord, and we receive your grace Lord, and we come to you today, Lord, and share in the prayer that you called your disciples to pray. And we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation.